Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. It's great to be with you tonight on election night, and we have a great show lined up for you. Tonight, we're going to be on with Sheriff David Clark in just a moment. And then later, Just the News Editor-in-Chief John Solomon is going to join us to break down the latest, biggest stories emerging today. Then former NFL player and one of the leaders of the Black Voices for Trump group, Jack Brewer, is with us, and he's got a bold prediction about today's election. Folks, Americans began casting ballots today in an election day that's been unlike any other. Many Americans have braved long lines, some longer than any in their lifetimes. Others are braving the potential for violence and intimidation after one of the most contentious presidential races in American history. You know, after a summer of rising violence and riots in in major cities, we're now seeing that many shop owners are once again boarding up as a precaution against unrest and looting. It's worth reflecting that this is a truly extraordinary sight. On election day in in the United States, the world's oldest republic. You know, many things have been unusual in 2020, but the prospect of a contested election marked by threats of violence may be among the most unusual. Federal law enforcement agencies are also bracing for the worst. The National Security Integration Center warned in an internal email late last week about planned protests inside the Capitol Beltway. According to reports, unrest is planned throughout downtown Washington, D.C. in the days following the election. In fact, intelligence agencies have monitored several messages on protesters' social media sites stating that if you want to throw down, come to Washington, D.C. on November the 4th. A non-scalable fence has been erected around the White House ahead of Election Day to create a buffer if protests turn violent. But no matter the result, the chances of violent protests, looting, and arson are clearly weighing on the minds of many voters. I'm anxious, honestly. Um, I feel like regardless which outcome happens, I feel like there will be a lot of unrest. It's definitely... The anxiety has been building up over the months, and the closer we've been getting, it's definitely increased. You know, a majority of voters, um, about 75%, say that they're concerned about the possibility of violence on Election Day and afterward. And with that, there may be a challenging days ahead for our police officers, who are, of course, tasked with protecting our nation's streets every day and every night. Police have been under attack from the left for months now, and today many police departments are already stretched thin due to months of rioting and protests, some retirements, resignations, and also, of course, the left's effort in many places to defund the police. Police departments in places like Minneapolis, Atlanta, South Florida, and Buffalo have seen substantial changes in the size of their police force due to protest-related resignations. 
So to try and get a perspective on what law enforcement is facing over the next few days, we turn to a man who has served on the front lines, who has led police officers. Uh, joining us today is former Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark. Sheriff, thank you so much for joining us today. Eric, it's my pleasure to be on with you. Thank you, sir. First, tell us, please, what are, what are you expecting to see tonight? Well, you know, this would really rely on the types of intelligence that's coming into the law enforcement officers, commanders. Uh, there should be a team of people right now working with the National Guard. I participated in these things. There should have been tabletop exercises going on all summer in anticipation of this sort of thing. Uh, they're erecting barriers right now. There's a physical aspect of it. But then there's the operational aspect of it, too. And, and one of the things, I, I think the failure of law enforcement, and I'm not criticizing the officers on the front line, I'm criticizing the executives, is they're not putting their officers in a position to complete a, a mission and to win. All right, they're putting them in position in harm's way to stand down. That is an ineffective tactic to use against this. Um, it's an enemy. It really is. It's a, they're insurrectionists. They're, they're troublemakers. They're rioters. And I understand riot dynamics. I studied under a former CIA uh, agent who was tasked with following the riots of the 60s, not to spy on Americans, but because of the foreign influence in those, in those elections. And he gave me a lot of material, a lot of after action reports, books on this stuff on riot dynamics. You have to put officers in a position to win. They don't have the resources that they're going to need. And that's why they have to bring in additional resources and, and use the National Guard. But the National Guard has to be deployed early. They can't wait. And, and, and what I'm seeing too often, ha too often times happen is they wait until uh, you know, the rioting starts, and then they have to try to gather themselves. The officers aren't being as aggressive as they should be. You have city councils and town councils and mayors uh, not allowing them to use things like rubber bullets, like tear gas, um, and, and other resources to disperse crowds to get out in front of this thing. You have to have all of the resources available. I participated in one of these things. From a leadership standpoint, I gave my officers all of the resources they needed. I asked the commanders, what do you need? Mm -hmm. They told me what they needed. We marshaled the resources. And I said to them, you have my authority to use all necessary and reasonable force to quell this stuff. And that's what they went out and did. And then I spoke to the community. I went on live TV. They interrupted the programming locally. And I sent a message to the law-abiding people and the, the rioters that what we saw last night in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I'm talking back, uh, back in uh, uh, 2015, I think it was, I said, you will not see a repeat of that tonight. So I let the public know what they could expect because, you know, these things are never pretty. You know, I'm, I'm sitting here watching the footage that you're showing there. The stuff is never pretty. Force was not intended to be pretty. It was intended to be effective. So the only question I asked when things were over, was it reasonable? And was it effective? And that's what I judged it on, not what it looks like. Yeah, and, and Sheriff, let, let's talk about that for a second, because you did effectively end a riot when people tried to riot uh, in Milwaukee when you were sheriff. Uh, when I was governor in Missouri in 2017, uh, we defeated Antifa when they came from around the country, and we did so with a lot of clarity. I mean, I remember 
I went out and I just said, every, said to everybody, look, everyone has the constitutional right to freedom of speech, and everyone has a constitutional right to freedom of assembly, and as long as people are out peacefully protesting, you'd find police officers out protecting those constitutional rights. But we also made really clear that throwing a brick through a window is not free speech, and that if you attack a law enforcement officer, you are going to be arrested. Talk with our audience, if, if you could, for a little bit about the fact that we do not need to tolerate rioting and looting in this country, that you can effectively establish peace. Well, not only do we not need to tolerate that, uh, we have to be more effective in terms of you know, what we're trying to accomplish here. Mm -hmm. Look, law enforcement has a duty and an obligation to protect life and property, not just their own, but also other citizens, but also to protect property. And it's got to be very disheartening for a business owner to stand up there and watch his or her business be destroyed, set on fire, looted, while the law enforcement officers are just standing there and standing down. I'm not being critical of the, the officers. I got to keep repeating that. They're under orders not to do anything. Well, I'll tell you what, you're a small business person. You're already mar operating on the margins. Most of these people aren't getting rich. Most of them have their lives and fortunes tied into the operation of this business. And to watch it go up like that and have nobody do anything about it, the, the, the state, if you will, the city, to not do anything about it, it's got to be very disheartening. And, and, and at that point, what happens, Eric, and you know this, yeah. uh, authority vanishes. If the law enforcement officers aren't going to take the necessary steps, there's no authority. And that means every person is, is for themselves. And that's when you see some of these instances of people out there taking the law into their own hands or defending themselves of their property. But that turns into chaos. People get hurt unnecessarily. People get killed. So the police have to have a better plan. And I'm watching what's going on in Washington tonight. I'm watching the physical barriers go up. But then I heard somebody say, and I have not verified this yet, but, you know, there's like two or three hundred National Guard standing by. I said, are you kidding me? That's not nearly not enough. Nearly you have enough. to use sure. maximum force in these situations. To, to hold on that thought, because I want to come back, talk about D.C., about what's also happening around the country uh, right after the break, folks. We'll be back with Sheriff David Clark. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens, and we're talking with former Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark, who has effectively led police officers on the front lines. Sheriff, right before the break, one of the things that you mentioned I want to follow up on is that our officers who are on the front lines, they have got to have the strategic clarity and the operational support from their leaders in order to be effective. Talk a little bit about what they need to have from police executives and political leaders. Yeah, let's break that up. First of all, they have to have more effective leadership from the law enforcement standard, the police executives who are putting these people in harm's way without a, a real plan to succeed in a mission. And if, uh, you know, because I hear this sometimes where, well, the chiefs, they're under the direction of their mayors and their mayors are telling them to stand down and do this, don't do that, don't use tear gas. Well, then that chief, 
has to have the courage to walk into the mayor's office and respectfully say, look, you hired me to do a job. I have a responsibility here to preserve law and order, and we're going to do that. If you don't like the way that I'm doing it, then you can fire me. Or they should have the courage to resign. The other thing they need is political support, and they're not getting that at either. And that has to go on in real time as some of the things that I'm looking at here on the screen are going on. You have to continually narrative. You have to continually message when you're the chief. Let them know here's what's going on. Here's what's happening so far. And, you know, the other thing that disturbs me is all the casualties are on the law enforcement side. There's no casualties on the other side. That's a huge imbalance that needs to be uh, uh, rectified. And the reason is because the force, as you know, Eric, has to be reasonable. But at the same time, what you want to do is discourage these insurrectionists, Antifa, Black Lives Matter. You want to change their calculus to where they look and say, hey, the police are on offense now. The police are really bringing it. And maybe this isn't such a good idea. And they're not feeling that right now. Yeah, look, I mean, it's a big difference in philosophy. I remember in, in Missouri, in Ferguson, uh, before I was in office, you had leaders who wanted to give people, quote, a safe space to loot and to burn. Uh, when I was in office, I was very clear. I said, if you try to loot and burn, the only safe space you're going to have is in a jail cell. You have to have that kind of strategic clarity out there uh, on the front lines. And I appreciate you also mentioning how important it is that we have police executives who are willing to go out there and fight for their frontline officers and do what's necessary to make sure that they have the resources and the clarity to be able to, to do their job. If I could, I want, I want to switch gears just, just a little bit and touch on Wisconsin. Obviously, Kenosha was a site of a lot of rioting and looting this past summer. We're hearing now that there's an increase in violent crime and murder in Milwaukee. Give us a sense, what's happening in, in Wisconsin right now? The social order is collapsing in some of the, the ghetto areas. Look, I give straight talk. You know, these are ghettos, okay? And the social order has collapsed. That leads to a rise in crime and violence. The police are on their heels. They're cu cutting the police budget in Milwaukee and some of these other areas. So they're not even going to have the human resources, much less some of the other resources that they need. And the uh, criminal element, they're watching this too. They know mm -hmm. that it's a free-for-all right now and that they're in charge of the streets and there's not much pushback. But, you know, the thing that bothers me the most out of all this is the people that suffer the most are the good law-abiding citizens yes. that have to live in these, these ghetto areas. Right. The overwhelming majority of people who live in these areas, black, Hispanic, poor, whites, they are good law-abiding people and they're not getting the protection that they need. So, you know, in, in, in all, again, these, these areas, they just turn, they, they literally, Eric, they turn into war zones for heaven's sakes. Milwaukee is on pace for a record homicide, record number of homicides this year. I think 1991, when I was in the uh, Detective Bureau, by the way, investigating those homicides, that was a record year. We're on pace to, to outdo that. That's not, couldn't be very comforting to the people, not just in the city of Milwaukee, but the surrounding area. Well, they, they, do, they do become uh, like war zones, unfortunately. I mean, I, I remember just, just a couple uh, months back in July, I was in the city of St. Louis, heard 15 to 25 automatic uh, gunshots go off. A buddy of mine and I, uh, responded. Uh, two young men were shot and were and were killed that night. It was the kind of thing I expected to hear in places like Iraq and Af Afghanistan serving in the military, not right here at home. But unfortunately, as you've mentioned, that is, it's happening 
in Wisconsin. It's happening in states and cities uh, around the country. What's your sense for how concerned people are about this in Wisconsin? And do you think it's going to shape the way that they're going out to, to vote today and tonight? I do. Um, people are very concerned. All right. And this, this is the one issue, which is why I'm glad that uh, the president decided to make this a major uh, plank in his platform, law and order uh, in these cities. Look, that, that issue transcends all demographics. Mm -hmm. I don't name one. LBGT community, seniors, blacks, Hispanics, everybody, middle class, wealthy folks, they all want to be safe in their schools, in their communities, in their neighborhoods, in their homes. And right now, they're not feeling it. They're feeling this thing slipping away. And oftentimes, when that is an issue that's real important at, at, at election season, it usually carries the day, which is why I think it's going to bode well for uh, the president at this point. Yeah, well, let, let me ask you a little bit about that, Sheriff. I mean, one of the things that, I, that I've always appreciated that you do is you always try to put things in, in historical context and also give people a sense for the challenges of the present moment. Uh, you've, got, you've got a piece out uh, right now on, on your website, and it, you're talking about the fact that the future of the republic is at stake in this election, and that's why you're urging folks to go out and to vote for, for President Donald Trump. Say a little bit about that, about what you think is at stake in this, in this election. Uh, look, this is a moment of truth. It's a defining moment in the history of this country. It's not the first time we've been here in a historical context. We were here with the American Revolution. We were here with the Civil War. We were here with the war in Southeast Asia. The, the tumultuous 1960s was a def defining moment in this country. Well, we're at another one of those moments in time. And it's in the voters' hands. That's where it needs to be. So the American people are going to get to decide. Not the campaign strategists, not the pollsters, not the commercials. The American people are going to get to decide what direction do we want this country to go in in this defining period. I feel good about it. I trust the American voters. You know, collectively, I trust that more people love this country than hate it. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things. And when you go into that poll, polling booth, if you're not sure, I think you're going you're gonna to vote for public safety. Yeah. And let's talk about one angle on this that, that a lot of our viewers might not have a have a full grasp of if they haven't been been in law enforcement, is that a lot of times we're seeing across the country, we're seeing George Soros funded liberal prosecutors who will basically practice catch and release. The police will bring them people who've been engaged in looting, they've been engaged in rioting, they've been engaged in arson. And they're just, they're just turned around and put back out onto the streets. One of the things I know you've talked about and, and I've, I've worked with is that you do have the opportunity in some of these cases to bring federal charges. United States attorneys can actually bring federal charges to people uh, who are involved in rioting. But if uh, you have a Democrat president who's working with and supporting people who are anti-police, uh, you're not going to have that ability to actually bring federal charges if, if U.S. attorneys aren't willing to do that. It's another thing I think is really important. And talk with our viewers, if you would, from your perspective as a frontline leader about how important it is to have good federal U.S. attorneys who are willing to bring these kinds of charges. It's extremely important, especially at a time like this. I mean, I look, I'm looking at some of these prosecutors uh, like Kimberly Fox in Cook County. 75% of the felony cases that were brought to her, felony arrests, 75% resulted in no charges. That doesn't pass the smell test, okay? She's obviously on a political mission. There are other uh, prosecutors uh, funded and got into office through the help of George Soros. And you know, a very good plan. It succeeded 
and getting these people into these prosecutors' office where they're not enforcing the law. Okay, so but what my experience was, and we had several task forces. We had a violent crimes task force. We had a gun task force. We had a gang task force where we worked with city, county, state, and federal authorities on that task force to get the most violent people, the most the the, the ones with the longest career uh, criminal histories, to get them permanently off the street using the federal system. The federal code has teeth. You are more likely not only to be charged but to be convicted and sent away for a long period of time because there is no probation or deferred sentence in the federal system. So you're going to get certainty when it comes to uh, the prosecution. So I always encourage, especially the violent crimes, to go the federal route. Well, Sheriff Clark, we really appreciate you you joining us. Thank you for joining uh, all of our viewers. Uh, It's great to have you on, and we'll look forward to to having having you join us again. Uh, Folks, stick around. Just the News Editor-in-Chief John Solomon is joining us next with the latest details from both the Trump and Biden campaigns. We'll be back in a minute. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Reitens. Well, folks, it's been widely reported by the mainstream media that President Trump is planning to declare victory later tonight, whether or not all of the vote is counted. Now, of course, the reports cite anonymous sources in the Trump campaign, and they provided little else in the way of proof. Well, as campaigns are known to do, the Biden camp is responding. And just the news editor-in-chief, John Solomon, his reporting on the latest developments. John, what can you tell us? What's happening now? Well, listen, anytime you hear anonymous sources in the media, just think Russia collusion, yes. Ukraine wrongdoing. We can go through all of the different yes. ones that turned out. Remember, uh, Anonymous was a senior official. Turns out to be chief of staff, the Homeland Security right. official. Um, I think you take everything you see here today, particularly anonymously, with a grain of salt. President Trump will declare victory if the, the returns tonight warranted. Yes. If not, he'll wait. He's a patient man. He'll wait to see this out. And I think the race is going to come down tonight to who gets the most votes out in these key states, right? North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona are the states I'm going to be watching all night. Right. Keep an eye on Nevada. I have a funny feeling some interesting things are going on in Nevada that wasn't on our map okay. when we started today. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's all about get out the vote and all this other stuff is posturing and silliness doesn't really matter to the American people. And and I'll mention, you know, obviously we'll have this coverage tonight at Real America's Voice where people can watch on TV, but you'll also at justthenews.com, you'll be filing the latest stories. People can go to justthenews.com, get trusted information throughout the night. All night long. Every time a state is called, you're going to see an alert on the site and you'll know exactly who won each state as we go along. A lot of insights. We're covering the legal side of it, covering the violence because there's a lot of concern about violence after the election tonight. Uh, We'll have it all stem to stern all night long until the morning and then all day tomorrow. Awesome. So give us give us a sense, if you would. Um, what do you think were the most important stories in the last two weeks that might have shaped the direction of the election? I think the single most important thing was the president getting back out and campaigning, mm-hmm. going back to the rallies. Uh, he yes. had a period where he was trapped inside and his poll number sank and, and the enthusiasm sank. As soon as he got back out and you see 10, 20, 30, 40,000 people at a rally, he's in his element. That's what won him the 2016 election. I think he had a very strong final 10 days. The only question is, 
was that strength, was that dynamism he created enough, uh, enough to overcome the early vote totals that the Democrats uh, pulled out. But that's the single most important thing. The second thing is probably uh, some people hearing about Hunter Biden for the mm -hmm, first time. Mm -hmm. I've been reporting on it for 18 yes, months, but yes. some people only heard about it in the last couple of weeks and they start to wonder, well, you know, we put Trump into office because he's an anti-politician. Are we really want to go back to a, a traditional politician with a corrupt son, maybe? So I think that probably affected some people on the margins. Single most important thing was the president getting out on, on the trail. Yeah. Selling his story, telling him who he is, getting people excited, reminding them why they fell in love with him in 2016. Well, and it wasn't just him making the case. It was also this tremendous contrast with the vice president, with Kamala Harris, which, who were yeah. showing up, if they were showing up at all, oftentimes at rallies or events where there were a couple they dozen talk, people. They were talking to seven cars at one event. I mean, yeah. it was a, the, it, it, the dynamism and the difference in the two styles of campaign spoke volumes in the last couple of weeks. Now, some people are locked down with COVID. And they like the low-key Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, uh, masked and in, in, in the protection program approach. Uh, I think a lot of the people in the key states, so Arizona particularly, you saw the enthusiasm in Pennsylvania uh, when the president barnstormed there. I mean, the crowds were enormous. Yes. Uh, I, I think if you put all of Joe Biden's attendees from the beginning of the year, it wouldn't add up to the first two or three that Trump did when he got back on the trail. Now, let's also talk about some of the most important stories that didn't come out. I mean, one of the things that the, the stories that you've got out right now at justthenews.com is about President Trump ordering, ordering yeah. very clearly the State Department to release all of the That's emails right. related to Russia collusion, Clinton email Ukraine, but they didn't do it. They didn't do it. And uh, I did get one document, yeah. uh, which you can go on justthenews.com and see right now. It's all white. Why is it? It was all whited out, all redacted. It's probably the most important document I went in when I sued I was trying to get. It's about the meeting between the Ukrainian prosecutor and our embassy right around the time that the Hunter Biden uh, case in Ukraine is being looked at. Uh, completely whited out. There's no, no, no compliance at all with the president saying. I think the other most important story we didn't hear we didn't hear from John Durham before the election. We had one mm -hmm. small criminal case, but we were going to get yes. that report, right. maybe get some more accountability. Yeah. We went into the 2020 election, November 3rd, not knowing what, on, what went on back in 2016. I think that's a travesty for the American people. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, and let, let's just uh, remind everybody at justthenews.com, they can go out and there, there is that dig deeper yeah, section I'm where so you can dig in and you can see the original documents. Yeah. When I read the story today, and it, it, you know, it said, hey, it was heavily redacted, almost right. completely redacted. I went in, you click on it, and what you see is a completely blank document. It is. No. And I think one of the things that's striking for, for you know, the American people, certainly for me as a former military guy, you think of the commander-in-chief like right. actually ordering them you think people are in very clear terms to no. turn all of these documents over. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen moving forward? Are we going to get to the bottom of these of these stories? I think a lot depends on how the vote total turns out mm -hmm. today. You know, there'll be some flurry of activity. Even if Trump loses, yeah. uh, there'll be a flurry of activity after the election where Bill Barr and Durham will get their results out. I don't think there was a lack of activity in the case. I think there was just a lack of an announcement. Yeah. But there's been a lot of work done behind the scenes. I think there's still some big uh, bombshells to be dropped. But they wanted to wait until after the election. But if Joe Biden gets in, all of these avenues are going to be cut off. And the only avenue will be, I think, 
pursuing the president and all of his financial and other issues that they've been able to forestall in the courts. If Trump gets in, I think there's a lot of accountability. And probably the single biggest thing, you're going to see a Republican effort to shrink the bureaucracy, yes. to get rid of all of this, what they call the deep state, right. and get it down to a smaller, more loyal, more uh, compliant government. You just said the commander in chief's not in charge sometimes. Right. What's most important thing, 20 seconds we've got left, most important thing for our viewers to be watching tonight? The difference between suburban voters fleeing Trump, suburban mm. voters who supported Trump last time, and African, Hispanic, and uh, new newcomers to the party voting and outvoting it. Can Trump overcome the uh, the loss of some of the suburban voters that voted on personality? Uh, that's the big dynamic I'm watching all night tonight. All right, very good. John, thanks, thanks so much for being with us. Good to be with Folks, you. again, that's John Solomon, founder and editor-in-chief of JustTheNews.com. Stay there tonight for all of the latest updates on what's happening in the election. And we'll be right back with Jack Brewer. See you in a second. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Greitens. We are counting down the hours until polls close across the country. And there's one group of voters in particular that could have one of the biggest impacts on the election, and that's black voters. President Trump has spent the better part of the last two months highlighting his administration's accomplishments for the black community and debuting his platinum plan to invest in minority-owned communities and businesses. It's that commitment to bettering the lives of those who live in impoverished communities that's provided a spark of appeal for many African-American voters. And it's a big reason why former Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich said earlier today on the water cooler with David Brody uh, this quotation. Here you go. Left is will be in total shock by the end of the evening. Trump will get a <laughs> much larger share of the black vote than any Republican since 1960. Joining us now is a man who has worked with the president and his team to improve the lives of millions of voters. Jack Brewer is a former safety who played in the National Football League. He's since spent his time working in the world of finance and politics to help better the lives of black Americans. Jack, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Well, hey, let, let's start here. You've worked with the president's campaign team for quite some time. Uh, what are you expecting to see today and tonight, particularly from African-American voters across the country? I'm right in line with Newt. You know, I've seen it on the ground. You're going to see uh, a historic day for minority voters supporting this president. You'll see more minority support uh, for President Trump today than you've seen from for any Republican uh, candidate in our in our generation. And so the enthusiasm is real. Uh, you know, we're fighting a, a mainstream me media and liberal narratives uh, that are really out of the reality for so many minorities across America. Uh, but we've we've actually put the time in. We've knocked on the doors. Uh, we've opened up 15 community centers across uh, the country in, in, in African-American and, and Hispanic-American communities, uh, these inner city community centers to help uh, really get our message out. But most importantly, actually help people. You know, we get so caught up in the politics, people forget uh, that it's really about the people. And this president's policies uh, have brought so much opportunity from criminal justice reform where, you know, there's been 91 percent 
of, of the uh, participants uh, have been African-American men, over 10,000 being released from prison. Uh, and you see the Second Chance uh, Act that he's pushing right now, uh, opportunity zones, you know, funding over a billion dollars to historical black colleges and universities. These are the policies and these are the decisions that this president has made uh, that has really made a, a positive impact on black America. Yeah, let's let's stay on that on that policy agenda uh, for just a minute. Talk, if you would, a little bit about the president's platinum plan and why you're such a big supporter of it and what, why you think it's going to be so important. I mean, this platinum plan uh, is something of, uh, like we've never seen before. Uh, to for him to come in and actually put a plan together, and you know how smart he is—he's a businessman, an entrepreneur. He can figure things out. No different than he's negotiated the trade deals for our nation. You know, no di different than he put in this comprehensive tax plan. Now he has a plan for Black America to add, add a half a trillion dollars in economic development uh, to African American uh, businesses which will result in over three million jobs for black America. You know, those are things that we couldn't even talk about in previous administrations. Uh, no one has been so bold, but really no one has had uh, really the, the, the intellect, uh, the business acumen uh, to put such a plan together. And so I'm super excited to work alongside uh, this administration. Uh, to push this plan forward, you know, let's get him elected for four more years and then let's get right uh, into the, the nitty gritty uh, and start to bring these opportunities to so many uh, of these black communities that have really been oppressed by democratic policies uh, that have been hanging over the head of black Americans uh, and all Americans really in these inner cities uh, where they're all ran by Democrat politicians, Democratic Congress people overseeing them, making the decisions for these folks uh, that have really uh, encouraged them to put the government before God. And Jack, you know, one of the things that you touched on that I want to I want to follow up on is just the importance of bringing jobs to the African-American community. I mean, we saw before the coronavirus the lowest black unemployment rate in American history. And now this platinum plan is promising to bring even more jobs uh, to, to black America. Uh, I know that when you guys started Black Voices for Trump, you've said yourself that there were a lot of naysayers, a lot of people out there who said this wouldn't work. You built a tremendous amount of, of enthusiasm on the ground. Talk a little bit about how that enthusiasm developed on, under your leadership and others. I mean, we got hundreds of thousands of, of supporters and followers on social media. Uh, and folks who join our calls, you know, we've had, I remember the first call I spoke on, we had over two and a half million people uh, tune in to, to see uh, our Black Voices for Trump call. You know, so many people laughed at us when we first started. Uh, and, you know, folks talked about us calling us names, attacking our, our character, attacking our families. Uh, but, you know, slowly but surely they see that we already know what this president has planned for us. We've seen the vision, we've seen the policies, and we just had to articulate that message to black America. I think we've done an amazing job of doing that. Uh, but, you know, it's, it really is rewarding to see, you know, a president go against the GOP. Now, let's not get confused. You know, the establishment Republicans have never wanted to go into the black communities. This is all President Trump. President Trump sent to us into the black communities, not just to go out there and campaign, but to actually build community centers and put centers right in the heart of, of, of where of where African-Americans are living. And so that just tells you the type of president that we have uh, and really what's important to to this nation and to this administration.
Hey, Jack, one of the things that you've talked about recently I'd like to ask you to expand on a little bit is about contrasting this democratic narrative of racial disparity with a Republican narrative of opportunity. In the last 30 seconds we have, uh, give our audience a sense for, for why that's important to you. It's very important. You see, Democratic policies have uh, really imprisoned our youth uh, into public schools that are broken, where many of them are in public schools that have zero proficiency in reading and math. Uh, Democratic policies have uh, imprisoned uh, our, our Black men. Uh, Democratic policies uh, across the board have really been there to, to, to push dependency on the government not opportunity, not pursuing the American dream. And I think that's where the disconnect has come from for so many uh, African-Americans and the disconnect for so many uh, conservatives. So many conservatives don't understand why mm. places like Chicago have 50 or 60 people getting shot every weekend. Right. We have right. a black president's office that never did anything about it. These things Jack, are- I know we're gonna have to have to wrap here, but folks, I wanna encourage you to go out, follow Jack Brewer, see what he's done at Black Voices for Trump. It's impressive. We're gonna be right back with the latest from Pennsylvania and what's happening in the election tonight. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this, central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's home equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Welcome back to Actionable Intelligence. I'm Eric Reitens. Well, very soon the polls are going to be closing in the key battleground state of Pennsylvania. And our Just the News correspondent, Nick Ballacy, has spent the day in the Keystone State. And he joins us now with more. Nick, tell us what you got. Both President Trump and Joe Biden have campaigned in Pennsylvania numerous times this election cycle. We've seen long lines here in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, to vote. Voters that we've spoken to in the county say the turnout is higher than it was in past election cycles. Pennsylvania's 20 electoral votes are crucial to both campaigns. The potential path to victory for Donald Trump and Joe Biden run through Pennsylvania. As the polls close, we'll see if Trump is able to hold on to his 2016 victory in the Keystone State. Reporting in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, I'm Nicholas Ballacy. Well, thank you for that, Nick. And folks, as you can imagine here on Real America's Voice, we're going to be bringing you wall-to-wall -wall coverage of the election with a little bit of help from the Victory Network. Hosting our coverage tonight will be America's Voice Live host, Tudor Dixon. Tudor, it's going to be an exciting night. We're glad to have you here in the studio in Washington, D.C. Tell us a little bit about what you've got planned for tonight. It is going to be an exciting night because we have a new set, a new studio. We're broadcasting everything live from here. I'm usually in Michigan, so I'm very excited to actually be here on the ground, and I'm excited about what's going to happen afterward. So for tonight's coverage, we're going to be going back and forth through the numbers, bringing 
reminding you what states are turning blue, what states are turning red. Obviously, in 2016, this was the most exciting thing that happened. So we've been talking all day about how this is the Super Bowl for people like us. You know, this is exactly what we've worked for four years to see. And, and we just can't wait to bring it to our audience. So we will be bringing them all of that. But also what's happening after the fact, once polls close, what's happening on the ground? Yeah, And you're going to be bringing all of our viewers insight from folks who are on the ground. Is that right? I mean, you're going to have a Real America's Voice team. We just heard from Nick Ballacy in Pennsylvania. We know you've got folks who are going to be with the Trump campaign. You've got folks who are going to be in Florida and Wisconsin and around the country. Talk a little bit about the team approach that you're going to be bringing. bringing yes, tonight. we have Amanda Head. She is in North Carolina. North Carolina is a very important state tonight. Yes. We were just talking about the fact that it's a questionable one. We don't know where that's going to fall. We also have Ben Berkwam. He's out in Arizona. We have Gina Loudon here. We have David Zier here. We'll have people all over the country. We have someone in Minnesota. It's going to be a very interesting night. All of these key key swing states. In in Michigan, my co-host Steve Gruber will be there. He'll be bringing us the numbers all night long. Awesome. And you are normally based in Michigan. You're here in D.C. for this coverage tonight. But Michigan's going to play a really important role in the selection. What are you hearing from, from friends and neighbors in Michigan? Well, it absolutely is. That's why the president was there last night, yes. just like he was in 2016. But right now, what I'm hearing from friends and neighbors there, and Steve, who is driving around <laughs> looking, I mean, he's literally driving around Michigan right now to all the polling places, which I love because yes. like I said, it's the Super Bowl. But he has called me and he's like, the numbers are incredible. It's a blowout. There's so many people, which we believe that if you're at a polling place today, that you are likely voting Republican. So he believes that the, rep the, the president is going to blow out Michigan. That's what it looks like. We'll see. Because, again, the big picture idea was that there was a lot of early voting. And a lot of opinion, at least from pundits, pollsters, and the elites, was that that was favoring the Democrats. Mm -hmm. At least that was their theory. And the belief was that if there was a big turnout on Election Day, that a lot of those folks would be voting for President Trump. Hence, a big turnout on Election Day should be good for the president. That's, that's the theory, at least. Right, exactly. Awesome. Well, Tudor, it's going to be exciting to watch tonight. And folks, you can watch Tudor Dixon and the entire Real America's Voice team right here throughout the night. Right after Actionable Intelligence, Gina Loudon is going to be on. She will be bringing you the latest from all that's happening around the country as people are going out to cast their votes. So again, stay right here, wall-to-wall -wall coverage here on Real America's Voice. And also remember, at justthenews.com, they will be posting updates as every state is called. You can watch a play-by-play -play of the election here at Real America's Voice and on justthenews.com. It'll be an exciting night, and we're really happy to celebrate it with you.